Science Perspectives, a new podcast from Affect Autism. Welcome listeners, this is Daria Brown, and this week I have a returning guest, Michelle Abraham Montgomery, who specializes in family services, autism resources and advocacy, peer family coaching, peer best practices, modeling play therapy techniques, and IEP reviews and preparations. Her and her autistic son, Kylil, who we podcasted with last year, and who will be presenting at ICDL's upcoming in-person conference in New York City in March, created Spectrum Success 911, a nonprofit organization connecting families with community resources and organizations of support in the Philadelphia area. She also provides programming and resources, including Autistic Ambassadors and a virtual support group called The Awesome Movement and others as well. What don't you do, Shell? Shell is now the supportive glam mom of an autistic grandson as well. And today we will be discussing navigating advocacy from the backseat and all of the different support roles that we play. Welcome back, Shell. It's great to have you. Thank you. I am super excited to be here. Well, I'm not only excited about our podcast, but I'm super excited that you and Kylil will be at the upcoming International Council on Development and Learnings DIR conference in New York City in March. Yes. Because there is somewhat of an international audience for Affect Autism and the We Chose Play podcast, I did want to specify in case any of you aren't up on the pop culture of North America. I did just listen to a really cool podcast the other day interviewing Sheila E about the song, The Glamorous Life. And so if anybody didn't know, what the heck are they talking about glam mom? Glam is short for glamorous and Shell is a lovely glamorous person. So I just wanted to throw that out there because if someone's listening from, you know, uh, maybe some country that they're like, what the heck is glam? What's, what's a glam mom? I just had to say, it's short for glamorous. And uh, yes, do you remember that pop song <laughs> with Prince yes, Glamorous yes, Life? Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, so I just wanted to specify that. We already covered all the stuff you do in our past podcast. For listeners that haven't heard it, if you're on YouTube, go down to the link underneath in the description um, in the blog post for today's podcast, it links back to the other podcasts I've done with Shell and with her son, Kylil. But today, we want to dive a little bit further in to some of the topics that you alluded to in our Parent Perspectives podcast with the other parents when we had our panel discussion. You mentioned, I'm a glam mom now. I have a grandson who's autistic. I went through this with my son but my daughter now has an autistic son and I don't want to step on her toes and tell her what to do. And I want to advocate from the back seat. So tell us about this experience. First of all, how old is your grandson? Two, he's two years old. He'll be three actually this year in May. And so the beauty of, of everything the second time around, right? As the glam mom is, identifying the behaviors that I didn't recognize with Khalil, right? So uh, different things like those, when he wants those deep hugs and he'll come in and do things where before I didn't know what Khalil was doing 
And now having those aha moments just like really makes my heart smile to be able to recognize and identify the behaviors because um, he's just starting to have some verbiage, but a lot of things are um, nonverbal cues. And so being able to identify those cues now is just amazing. It's awesome. And we spell it A-U-S-O-M-E, right? That's right. I I just, it must just be such a different experience because uh, in the We Chose Play documentary, which which you watched, you saw that, you know, the first time around, the parents usually are filled with this despair and gloom, and you described your story with Kylil, and just feeling almost helpless, hopeless, and now the second time around, you sort of can see a bit of the future, and like you said, you're seeing all these cues and these behaviors, and they're not scary anymore like they were to you the first time. And so um, I, I share with parents about the phase of acceptance begins with rejection. And so um, in the beginning, you know, when a lot of parents have a hard time accepting that their child has a diagnosis and then, you know, you come to the acceptance phase, we call it. And then after that acceptance, you can get to embracing. And this is part of my embracement phase of our journey because, um, well, I didn't have a hard time with accepting that Khalil has some developmental delays and autism didn't come into our journey until he was about 10, maybe 12, early tweens. But um, with that, we accepted that and we were able to move forward and allow him to thrive. But now with my grandson, I am really, really embracing our journey. So yeah, I'm loving it. So it must be interesting for your daughter because she had Kylil as a sibling and now she has a son. And so are you finding that she is where you are in the embracing stage, but she's going through it as a mother for the first time? So how do you relate with uh, watching what she's going through and understanding her journey, which is different than yours? <laughs> well, she has come in and gained her crown from the very start as an awesome mom. Um, just listening to her, with services and different things saying, I remember this with Khalil and she just came in and just like she won, she's winning uh, from the beginning. And so there are a few things that she may come and she may ask, you know, for advice, but that's one of the key parts of navigating from the backseat is allowing her the opportunity to have that space to come and ask opposed to pushing information on her and so just listening to her speak and engage with her, the services for my grandson really allows me to see how much she really was paying attention and she's the baby of the family and so I even you know speak about that maybe we can do another podcast about um, not changing the roles of the siblings because I actually changed her role from the baby and made her a co-caretaker of Khalil, 
unbeknownst to what I was doing at that time. But now that I've realized it, because it was always make sure your brother is okay. Make sure Khalil is this. And so she became the big, you know, sibling opposed to the baby. And so with that, now I'm really seeing how much she was paying attention and how much she really absorbed everything that was going on with her brother. I mean, that's incredible. And it must give you some sense of, I guess, validation for the things that you did and the supports that you provided, because we know that you were key warrior mom from the red carpet podcast that we did. Um, so she had a great role model for sure. Uh, but being the role model that you are and, and not just being a mother to Kylil, but you've now helped so many families and you advocate for them and you've met so many other people and you're such a support to your community, you must have to maybe bite your tongue sometimes. <laughs> and so talk about that experience when you when you are navigating from the back seat. Because um, you, you mentioned how she will do things and and you're watching and you're saying, wow, she really learned a lot. But what about when maybe she isn't catching things that you see? How do you navigate that? <laughs> so now it's very interesting, um, Daria, because of social media. And that wasn't as prevalent back then as it is now. And so um, when there's some things going on, I'm like waiting, you know, they're waiting and thinking I'm excited that she's going to come and ask me and she'll say, oh, yeah, I'm going to go on TikTok and ask the reviewers like what their things and thoughts are. And I'm like, you're going to go on TikTok and I have an organization like, but I have to respect her space and her place now. And as the mom, it says, OK, well, let me know how that works out. <laughs> And then you also have to, in a loving way, be there with that safety net when she comes and says, oh, I was so upset because they said some really mean things and they did this and they did that. And so allowing them to have that space to be able to make their own errors. You know, don't say, why would you do that? You know, they're going to eat you alive on there. No, you know, you have to stay in your lane and just be support supporting right stay in that supporting lane and then wait when they come bruised a little bit sometimes and brush them up with love right yes and that is probably way easier said than done absolutely absolutely you know i found that you know trying to keep that poker face oh my goodness it yeah it's still a skill i'm trying to master <laughs> So what is it like interacting with your grandson? Um, you mentioned seeing those cues and loving understanding the behavior this time around. How has that experience been? Wow. So in the beginning, um, and even with the oldest grandchild, um, I had to learn then when you, the grandma comes in the room and the children, they're just like running to the grandparent. They love the grandparents. And it seemed like my daughter would shrink, you know, and she, because it was always her, she was my baby. And now my attention is drawn to her babies. And so in the beginning, I would hear, you know, the baby would run over to me and she was like, 
why are you running for her? <laughs> What's going on? And so from there, I had to learn when I come in, first and foremost, address my daughter. You know, I'm going to love her first and then go to the grandchildren. Because a lot of times as parents, especially when we transition to grandparents, our children, and I'm seeing a lot of TikTok videos now. And I just seen one said that grandparents are fake. You know, oh, we got beef for everything. And then when the grandchildren do it, they make excuses and it's allowed. And so we don't want to dismiss or make our children feel invisible once the grandchildren come. So I try to be very cognizant to make sure that my daughter still stays my baby first and foremost. This must be such an intentional process because it's probably not something that just comes naturally. Um, if you're naturally wanting to run to your grandchildren, give them a big hug and kiss, you have to be very intentional about it. So the one thing that I would do, if they run to me first, then we'll do a group hug. I'll pick them up and then I'll go and hug her with them, right? Just to make, so that she doesn't feel like she's being dismissed or she's invisible. I love that you have the insight into how you are being received from your family members. How did that come about that you had those realizations? <laughs> I just know um, for myself coming from a, you know, I don't even know if I want to say dysfunctional because I think that our, my parents did the best they could with what they had. And, you know, I believe that my, my mom was undiagnosed bipolar and I do see some of those behaviors in my daughter and even some of those manic sessions in myself. And so now that I'm aware of the behaviors and of the language, then now I can say, okay, yeah, looking back, I can see why she did what she did or why I do what I do. And even with my daughter, seeing the behaviors and being able to separate the behavior from the child, loving her unconditionally, and then learning how to cope and teaching her coping skills for her diagnosis. And so growing up, um, we lived with multiple family members, my siblings and I, and for some time we were separated. And I remember at a young age feeling invisible, you know, feeling like I was not loved, and so, but then as I got older and educated, I realized that I believe my parents did the best that they could with what they had at the time. You know, I can count on one hand how many times my mother says she loved me. I don't think that she didn't, but I don't know that she knew how to, because I'm not sure about her background, about her relationship with her mothers. And so I speak a lot about breaking these cycles of generational behaviors that are passed down, you know, and starting new ones is what I had to do with my own daughter um, from that. And so it was hard, you know, and, but it was necessary. I've, I've never received the apology from my mother before she passed. And I, and I shared a story about the last six months of my mother's life was the best six months of mine because I was finally seen. She saw me. Um, you know, my mother, uh, she was diagnosed with stage four cancer. And so, um, 
at that time she wanted to draw close to and she gave us so many gems and you know and, and we'll talk about that a little bit later about you know collecting those gems and then when your time comes being able to now recite them back and give that to your children and grandchildren growing up and that's so important and so now you know and I saw that with my mother she would tell my daughter and my son how much she loved them all the time. And I'm like, but wait, you didn't love me. <laughs> you know, you never said and so from that, I was able to say, okay, I'm not going to repeat that. I'm going to make sure that my children know and hear that, you know, and see that I love them. It's so interesting. Um, Dr. Ira Glavinsky talks about the ghosts in the nursery. So when, parents are interacting with their children he'll see them do certain things and he says it's not just you there it's the ghosts of your parents and their parents and their parents and those cycles and i think that comes from um uh her last name is freiberg i think selma freiberg is is who came up with that and i can link to that in the blog post and in floor time and dir we talk about presuming competence and i love how you presumed competence in that self-reflection, the ninth functional emotional developmental capacity in reflecting on your parents and your and their their ability to do the best that they could do. And just having that maturity and wisdom to accept and move forward. And like you said, um, really help support the families that you work with to not repeat um, cycles that, you know, carry, carrying that uh, pain and hurt and really expressing the the support and love for the next generation. So I love all that. That's that's amazing. Thank you. I love um, how you talked about as well, I think it was in the last podcast, and if it wasn't in the last podcast, it might have been in, in our ICDL's parent support virtual meeting. Um, so forgive me, listeners, if it's not in the past podcast, if you're hearing this for the first time, and forgive me if we're repeating it again, but you talked about reflecting in a therapy session about wearing the different hats. And so having a certain experience and realizing that, wait a second, I'm wearing a different hat. <laughs> Can you go into that and describe yes. that again? Oh my goodness. So as a peer professional and now supervisor, uh, we we wear a lot of hats. And so as I'm working with peers, I'm sharing my story. And the same way, you know, with a therapist, that families, individuals will share their information with you. And as they are venting, and now you are taking on, they're, re they're releasing it and they're giving it to you. And it's so important in this line of work that we ourselves have a support person because when they give it to us, we don't want to hold on to that. We want to be able to expel that and pass it on. And, and, it's, and that cycle should continue of passing, passing that baton. And so I was talking to my therapist and I was feeling like at that time, I was like, I'm hearing voices. I'm losing my mind. Like, what is going on? And I shared this with my therapist and she has said to me, you know, um, well, show the next time you hear these voices, because I was trying to block them out, dismiss them. She said, when you hear it, get a recorder and just start saying what you hear or writing it down. And that's what I did. 
And what I came to realize is that during conversations, depending on if I'm working as a system partner, if I'm working as a mom, as a resource person, that I am talking to someone else about whatever we're talking about. And then another hat will in the background step in and give the answer to that, that resource. And when I actually listened with my therapist, we listened to what I was hearing. Um, someone was asking about resources for a family and the information that was being given to me was that resource information. And we both, my therapist and I were like in tears. She was like, you are amazing. Phenomenal. And this is a gift. Don't shut it out because it was a, it was scaring me and I was trying to dismiss it. And I was trying to, um, sub, you know, push it down, press, suppress it. And now it's just amazing that in the line of work that I do, that as like I'm talking to you and we're talking about things, my brain is constantly working and information comes. And sometimes I always like to keep like a pen and paper nearby. So when I start hearing these things, I can start jotting down notes. So that way, out of respect for the speaker, giving them their time to talk when my time come, I can recall that information and I can share what was shared with me. And I guess that's kind of what you were talking about too with your daughter, because you might have the mom hat saying, oh, he's just trying to do this. Don't do this with him or bring him here or, or do this. But then you realize, wait a sec, I'm in my glam mom hat right now. So I'm going to step back, let her have that dignity of risk is a term I recently heard and let her do that and I will just keep my glam mom hat on um, or similarly when you're working as a peer counselor or supporting families you probably have different hats having ideas about things but not necessarily wanting to step on their toes or um, sometimes realizing they might need something from you that might be from a different hat and where all the different boundaries are. That must be um, something that you've really had practice in navigating. Yes, learning how to respect uh, spaces, especially during conversation, is something that we had to do during like mock sessions with both my son and my daughter. And, you know, allowing them and teaching them to write down your thoughts when you have it so that when your turn comes, because a lot of times people say, oh, when you talk to autistic people, they don't give you a chance to talk. They'll just keep going on and on and on. And so it's important to also, you know, teach them, have those mock sessions, the, the you know, the importance of sharing. And that's a skill in a conversation, like a dialogue It's your turn, then your turn. And I kind of even use like the illustration of ping pong with that, you know, and we'll play ping pong and say, you know, like when the ball comes to you, it's your turn, then you hit it and pass it back. But I'm waiting. I'm thinking about my mood. If ball comes different ways, how am I going to position myself to hit it? And that's the same way it works with a conversation. So teaching them those skills are very important. Yes, and it's funny, um, Dr. Glavinsky also, Ira, he said, he calls, always tells me, call me Ira. He said that um, 
he also used that analogy of the ping pong. I'll have to refer back to the blog post where he talks about that too, more in the context, I think, of back and forth interaction when our children are learning to communicate. But um, of course, we're always monitoring our own FEDCs, functional emotional developmental capacities. Um, you know, if if we're in a different headspace, we might might not be available for that back and forth as well. You know, even now with um, peer coaching, teaching and empowering uh, people that how to set boundaries, right? That people treat you the way that you teach them and allow them to. That when someone pushes, it's okay to push back to say, um, yeah, no, we're not going to do that. Thank you, but no, thank you. And now you set the boundary because when they push, if you don't set that boundary, then they'll push again further because they're going to set the boundary. So learning how to set your boundaries opposed to others setting the boundary for you. Is that something that you also do in your workshops with the young adults? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Definitely. Yes. And that's part of our navigating safe and healthy relationships. Yes. Um, and I know you um, gave examples of, you know, really having conversations with Kylil around that as well to make sure that he understands about navigating yes. that and, and that how important that is for our young kids, especially when they are at the place when they're older, a, a lot of people listening might have younger children, but those younger children will be young adults one day and they may be very communicative and social with others. And it's something that you don't think about when your kid is two, three, and you, you don't know if they're ever gonna get there. And seeing the future and having that hope um, when we see people like Kylil and, and others, whatever the future looks like for them, they're going to have to navigate social relationships and the importance of self-advocating and setting those boundaries and all of those important safety issues. Absolutely. And even, you know, with Khalil now, um, he'll be 30 this year teaching yeah. him um, and I should say them on how to date intentionally, especially when there are diagnoses involved. You know, you have to be very intentional about dating is because what you don't want to do is trigger each other. And then if you do, knowing how to support and help to first self deescalate and then de help to support and deescalate your partner. So being very intentional and cognizant of what that looks like and having those discussions before it actually happens. So taking those preventive measures beforehand to do that. And even to share with Khalil, when some of the challenges are identifying social cues is recognizing how to say no. You know, a lot of time men are told, you know, especially if a female is the aggressor to, you know, oh, you know, you take it, you, you know, you do this. And as a guy, you know, and the swag. But if you don't feel comfortable and a female is too aggressive for you. Standing your ground and saying, you know, I don't want to do that. I don't feel comfortable with you doing that. And it's okay, you know, to say those things. So being able to stand your ground as a male and, you know, still have dignity and integrity afterwards is definitely a conversation and something that we had to discuss. 
I really loved the example you shared with me um, privately about uh, a conversation you had or um, support that you were giving, which um, you didn't share anything confidential, but you gave me an interesting story, which, you know, you, you alluded to people saying that autistics, and of course, this overnight generalization, will talk nonstop and not let you get a word in. But you gave me an example of the opposite thing happening as well, which I thought was so interesting, where you were working with an autistic, uh, I believe it was young adult or older teen, who wasn't communicating certain things. And the, the caretaker was making assumptions about it and, and not presuming competence. And you were able to meet that child or young adult where they were at very DIR principle, meeting them where they're at, and building that relationship and trust so that you found out that the reason why uh, the person wasn't drinking any water is they were worried about the filter on the water system not having been changed and and didn't want to drink unpure water or whatever, which is such a logical uh, thing that people, like, I'd be that way personally. <laughs> Maybe some people don't care they drink out of the tap, but I like to drink filtered water. And if, if I think the filter hasn't been changed, I might avoid that water. Um, but how it can be perceived differently when we don't have those communications. So, well, that's, that's the first part. And then I wanted to ask a follow-up to that about how you do that in your groups with young autistic adults when you are sharing having them share those kinds of things like you're you're not only telling them you know have the ping pong back and forth and doing mock sessions but also having them be able to advocate for themselves and be able to say no i'm not being defiant there's a reason why it, but a lot of times they'll keep that inside and of course we're overgeneralizing. we're just using this example so the first and foremost thing that I always share with parents is validation. Validation is so important, not just for adults, but also with our kiddos. So even if we don't see what they're saying, we want to validate what they are saying because, and even if it's not real, it's real to them. And we don't want to downplay what's going on with them. And so, um, when the the person we were talking about had shared about why they weren't eating or drinking and it was some OCD situations about cleanliness and you know I don't know whether they wash their hands and those are all valid points and so yes you know and I gave an illustration you know to say it's like when we go to a restaurant and we get a burger we don't know if a fly landed on it or not. And even if the another person is a burger and they saw the fly land on it and they still choose to eat it, it doesn't make one person right and one person wrong or vice versa. But the thing is, is that if that is something that you or that bothers you, and I told him that, you know, he was just super cognizant of things that were happening where some people don't really pay attention to those smaller details and he was just very very cognizant of the small things you well you know the fly landing on my burger is not a small thing 
<laughs> to be honest. But for some people, they'll push it away and they want to eat their burger. I personally wouldn't do that. But to each his own preference. And just not making people feel, you know, that their perspective of the way they want to do things is wrong. So we want to definitely be very intentional and cognizant of not shame, blaming or judging others. Yes, you brought that up in our first podcast, the shame, blame, judging. Um, And I, I just I love all of these little gems you call you. You, you were talking about gems. I love that. All these gems that I get from you because they, they may be things that I've thought before, but you label them and describe them in a different way with a different lens. And then I'm like, oh, I get all these light bulb moments of things that I go through every day. So it, I just I love it. Moments, right? Yes, yes. And it, that's why it's so great to learn from each other. And I love doing this podcast because everybody shares the things that they see and, um, it just is so helpful in in navigating our roles as advocates for our children and in your case for your grandchild and in your case for the families that you support and in my case at parent support meetings and all of these things we're always learning uh, through these relationships. So I just, I value all of that so much, Michelle. Even, you know, staying in the backseat and, you know, we main, maintaining our glam it's so important to make sure that we don't want to um, become second parents or that we don't want to co, you know, it's not our responsibility to co-parent with our children. My responsibility as the glam mom is to love and support my grandson. Dale, it's your responsibility as the mom to discipline him. But I parent you and support you and love him. You parent him and I support you and your family. And that is so important, you know, and I use the illustration again. I love illustrations of traffic light. And as long as we stay in our lane, we'll stay green. But when we start going into territory that's iffy, now we're in the yellow, which means proceed with caution. So if you're in that yellow zone and you want to still keep going and you hit a red, well, Maybe you're in a space that you're not supposed to be in, right? So that yellow is that warning to say, am I in my lane? Am I maintaining my glam, (laughs) you know? And I really have to be cognizant and start asking myself questions, paying attention to my daughter's cues. You know, when my daughter invites me to be present, whether on a call or in a session with her children and their supports, you know, first, main, being there to support her, following her cues and speaking in turn, asking permission. You know, do can I have permission to share something? Is that okay? Opposed to just saying, you know, because a lot of times, I know for me, like as the parent, we're so used to the parent tells the children what to do. But respecting now her transition from my child to adult, you know, now I have to respect her adult position and ask permission to share. And again, I, I assume that's much easier said than done sometimes, especially when tempers flare, if there's behavior and you're in a public restaurant. And yes. and, and also, you know, setting an example. If we're out and 
if someone, you know, does decide that they want to make a comment or something, I want to definitely be that example to show, you know, my daughter, especially understanding that, you know, our kiddos, you know, they have all this energy and they're really quick to, to want to defend. And so if I'm there and to be a role model, you know, to smile and say to someone, you know, oh, we're okay over here. Thank you so much for, you know, your interest or being concerned <laughs> and showing her the proper way of doing things. And so now that I am in my 50 plus years and it's like the narrative of that fight, flight and freeze changed for me, you know, even with the fight, learning how to fight with my words, not my hands now, you know, even with the flight, you know, I'm not going to run to every fire, you know, I'm going to let the younger ones go up there and wait my turn. Or if I have a turn and being able to even, you know, differentiate that and say, okay, yeah, I need to move in now. Or like, no, I'm going to leave that alone. And so, and we're freezing. I'm finding that I'm freezing a lot more now in my 50s than I did <laughs> in my 20s. You know, that was exciting. Got my adrenaline running, you know, because I want to jump up and I want to run to things. And my revelations to say, I'm going to freeze more now and wait for that opportune time to want to, you know, actually step in. Yeah. And just that with that role modeling is a responsibility and to feel valid in your own self to have that responsibility too, I think is something that comes with the maturity and all of the experience that you've had. To our glam parents, First and foremost, you want to maintain that glam, right? Don't let your children or grandchildren push you to a space where you can't be glamorous. You know, sometimes it's okay to step back, remove yourself from the situation, collect yourself and then come back. You know, that's first and foremost, because again, like, um, as I was stating about the narrative of uh, fight, flight and freeze changing, we definitely want to practice and put that into actions. We are physically fighting. We learn now to fight with our words and how to be empowering others through our verbiage and what we what we say. And when we speak, we want to drop gems when we speak now you know we want you know if we want to talk about that fight we want our blows to land and so being very intentional and cognizant of what we're saying how we're presenting ourselves you know and again freezing sometimes it's okay to freeze and wait for the opportune time you don't have to move because everybody else is moving you can be the only person at the table that is okay and just make sure that while you're sitting there you maintain that glam right I love it because I I'm thinking of my buddy Jackie Bartell who's been on the podcast many times I feel like she's going to take that and be like yeah you know it, it's our new term for self-regulation maintaining our glam because it really is about maintaining your self-regulation and we talk about that all the time in DIR how important it is to really balance our FEDCs with that of the person we're interacting with, whether it be a client 
a child, uh, a partner, etc. So I love it. Maintaining our glam. Um, well, you can drop that one at the ICDL conference. Uh, awesome. As a as a synonym for staying regulated. <laughs> I love it. The first functional emotional developmental capacity in the DIR model. Um, Shell, it's always a pleasure. I love having the DIR adjacent allies who share the same values and do the same work um, with different hats on and discussing all the different hats and navigating from the back seat. Thank you so much. Um, thank you now, so much. I want to say one thing yep. to our parents. Just remember that you don't have to be a therapist to do something therapeutically. Yes. That was another gem you dropped in one of our other podcasts. That's a good one. Um, absolutely. I will put all of the notes, including links to those past podcasts and resources we talked about. What the heck? I'll even put a link to The Glamorous Life by Sheila E. Written with Prince. I'll put all of that at affectautism.com on the blog post for today's podcast. Again, thank you so much, Shell. Uh, can't wait to see you and Kylil in person. And everybody else, stay tuned. Another podcast back in two weeks. Well, thank you so much. And I love, love, love being a part of all of, you know, this. And this is definitely a happy space and place in my journey. Thank you. Thank you.